that God is there through the sorrow. And I came to a, a very dark point in my life a number of years ago, uh, something I would not wish on anybody. And I remember sitting there in the darkness of that uh, moment and just uh, thinking, am I just going to forsake it all? Am I going to turn and walk away? And, uh, boy, the temptation was there. Lord, this, this is uh, not what I planned for my life. And, uh, boy, what a wonderful joy it was to have Him there during those dark moments. And the next few moments of those thoughts and, and things that were going to my heart, there was such a great joy, such a great peace in the midst of the darkness, knowing that He was there and that He was in control. And I'm thankful He didn't give up on me, because I'll tell you, during those days, it would have been easy for Him to just say, I'm done. And uh, I'm thankful that He allowed me to continue to trust Him. And uh, I hope it's the joy of our hearts to love Him with all of our heart. I hope it's the joy of our hearts to be able to uh, spend time with Him and all that He has done for us. I'll tell you, when you stop and think about who He is and who we are, it's amazing that He even bothers. It really is. When you think of who God is and who we are, the psalmist said, When I consider the heavens the work of thy hands, he spoke of the sun and the moon and the stars which God had made. He said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that thou visitest him. I'm so thankful he did, though, don't you? I'm so thankful for that. Let's take our Bibles, if you will. Turn to James chapter number 4. James chapter number 4. I think we live in a day where people have the wrong view of God. They think He's some <clears throat> some uh, judgmental uh, God up in heaven that only thrills to see uh, people fail and, and that He could have an opportunity to punish them. That's not the God that I serve. While He is a just God and demands a penalty on sin, He's a God who loved us enough that while we were already sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that in the book of Romans, that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I think we get the wrong idea that God takes joy and glee in sending sinners to hell. No, no. That breaks His heart every time He has to do that. He's done everything He could to keep sinners out of hell. He's even sent His own Son to die in their place and take their penalty for them. how much He loved us. In John chapter 3, in verse number 18, He says that we're condemned already because we have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. A lot of people say, well, if I do enough good and enough bad, then God will judge me. And if my bad doesn't, uh, or if my bad doesn't outweigh my good, then He's going to judge me and send me to hell. No, no. Uh, we, we were already judged in our sin. We were born into a sinful condition. You're misunderstanding the whole concept. We are already condemned because we're born sinners. We don't, we don't become sinners because we sin. We sin because we're born with a sinful nature. We're already condemned, and what Christ came to do is to save us from that condemnation. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I hope we get the right idea and concept, and the Bible nowhere teaches that He takes joy in condemning them. We find that He takes great sorrow in having to do so. But His love for them has been so long-suffering and so uh, outreaching to them to uh, show them His love, to show them his mercy, their mercy and grace. It's difficult for me to hear somebody talk about the fact that they don't believe that God would send anyone to hell. And I'll tell you this, God has never sent anyone to hell. They have willingly chosen it. 
God's desire is for men to be saved, to trust Him as their Savior, to escape that place that we're already headed to. I'm thankful today that He saves us. I'm thankful not only that He saves us, but I'm thankful that once we're saved, He keeps us saved. We don't have to go around wondering, am I saved today or not? We can have great peace, great joy in knowing what's coming and what's lying ahead of us because we understand that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me, if you will, in James chapter number 4. I'm going to read two verses of Scripture. James chapter number 4. And then we'll have a word of prayer. I'm going to ask for you to bear with me. I'm going to give you several passages uh, today that at the, at the beginning are going to seem somewhat disconnected. And then, Lord willing, by the end of the message, we're going to draw them all together. And so I want you to, if you can, I know it's an Easter Sunday, you got things on your mind, dinner with family and stuff. I promise you, I won't take more than about three or four hours here at least. I'm just kidding. I, I, will, I will be brief, I promise you that. But I'm going to ask you, if you will, can you make an a, a, a on-purpose decision? I'm going to try to pay attention to everything. Because if you miss one thing, you'll miss it all. And I don't want you to miss it today. James chapter number 4. Let's look at verse number 13. James writes this, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a what? A vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we come to you and I ask for the next few moments that you will help guard our hearts and our minds from any distraction. Lord, may we, for the next few minutes, lay aside any cares, any burdens that we've brought in here with us. Maybe the plans that we've made for the afternoon with family, may we lay those aside. May we focus our hearts and our minds wholly upon Your Word. Bless the time that is spent here. Lord, may Your Holy Spirit do His wonderful work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, in pondering what I was going to preach for Easter Sunday, uh, I, I was... Uh, brought to the idea of a question that formed in my mind, and that was this. Which is more important to us, our life or our soul? And I began to think on that phrase. Is my life more important or my soul more important? And when I speak of life, I'm speaking of the life that we spend here on this earth till the time that we pass away and breathe our last breath here. And I wonder, is this life on this earth more important to us than our soul, or is our soul more important to us than our life? Somebody said years ago, uh, the phrase has come up about selling your soul. Uh, what would it take for you to sell your soul? And people say, boy, I, I would never sell my soul. And here's the sad fact of the matter. I, I was thinking on this this week. A lot of people say, well, I would never sell my soul, Pastor, but we would give it away. So that we could enjoy the things of this life, we we would give it free of charge, gaining nothing for it, because we would not even consider the things of eternity with regarding my soul, which is more important. As I came to the book of James in chapter number four, James speaks of a truth here about this life. He says, This life is a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. The other morning, just earlier this week, we had a change in the weather. And I woke up in the morning and poked my head out the door, and there was fog everywhere you looked, out here in the backyard. I couldn't even see down to the tree line in the back. But, you know, the sun came up a few hours later, and that, that fog began to start going away. And, I mean, it was just a matter of just a few moments. It was gone. 
I thought, you know, that's the way our life is. Our life is just a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. It's amazing to me how many people will spend their entire life trying to gain things for this short period that we're here and completely neglect the eternal part of our soul. Never even giving a thought what we're going to do in eternity, where we're going to be. If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John. John, and hold this thought for a moment. We're going to read a rather lengthy passage of Scripture. John chapter number 20. <coughs> John chapter number 20. I was talking to a fellow. His name's Brian Maloney, a friend of mine down in Florida. Uh, at the time that I talked to him, he was, I think, in his early 40s, if I remember correctly. And uh, I sat in his living room one night, and we began talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we went through the idea of Adam and Eve sinning in the Garden of Eden. We, thought, we talked about the fact that, that because of that sin, they were condemned. And uh, that Jesus Christ came uh, to this earth over 2,000 years ago. We talked about the Christmas story. And then I looked at him and I said, Brian, do you know why Jesus came to this earth? He said, no. I said, he came to die on the cross. Do you know why he did that? And he said, no. I said, to pay for your sin. And he looked at me with eyes wide open, like it was the first time he'd ever heard such a thing. He said, so that's why he came. He said, I've heard of Christmas. He said, I've celebrated Easter. I've heard of the resurrection. i heard of the crucifixion. But he said, I never knew why Christ did that. Can I tell you this morning, the reason that Christ died on the cross for our sins was put in a grave for three days and rose again on the third day was to pay the price that you could not pay. For your sin. This is how much He loves you. Let's look in John chapter 20 as we uh, have seen Christ now crucified already. He's been put into the grave. The three days and the three nights are over. And He is risen from the dead. Now look in verse number 1 of chapter 20. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher. And seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulchre, so they both ran to, uh, so they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter and came to the sepulchre. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet when he not in. When, when Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then uh, went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the Scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulchre, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, A woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. When she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, 
Tell me where thou hast laid him. I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. And amazing, the moment he said her name, she knew who he was. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that He had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Why did he show them their hands and his side? Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they had nailed his hands to the cross. They had nailed his feet to the cross. And finally the soldier came and took the, sword, uh, took the spear and jabbed it into the side of, of, the, uh, of the Savior to make certain of his death. And the Bible says that blood and water came flowing out. He was surely dead. He was put into the grave for three days and three nights. And then on the first day of the week, he rose from the dead. He did all that because he loved you. When was the last time somebody loved you that much? What's more important to you, your life, this life, or your soul? So many people that will give themselves to this life and will frivolously give away their soul. Look with me, if you will, to Luke chapter number 10, just back a few pages. Luke chapter number 10. I'm sorry, I've got the wrong passage. Give me a moment. The effects of COVID. Well, I'm sorry. We're going to move on from that passage because I can't find it. But let me tell you what, the, what it says, and I'll just let you know it, and, and I'll find you the verse if you need it. There was a man in Scripture that Jesus taught about. He told a parable about it. And he said that if his barns, he had had a great crop, and if his barns were too small, that he was going to tear them down and build bigger barns. And when Jesus was sharing that with the, the folks about him tearing down his barns and building bigger barns because his crops were so good, he refers to the man, he says, Thou fool! He says, Knowest not that tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. Thy soul shall be required of thee. What he was trying to teach in the parable is that between the two choices of this life and the eternal destiny of our soul, that the soul is far greater. So much so that Jesus said the man who was concerned about this life was foolish for doing so. Because he was looking at the, 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 the short and brev, uh, brevity of this life 
and neglecting the eternal uh, uh, well-being of the soul, which has to live somewhere for eternity. The soul doesn't just end at the moment of death. I, uh, over the years, have been amazed at how many times I have tried to share the gospel with someone and how many times they have had excuses or reasons why they said, oh, I, I just don't have time for that right now, or it might, uh, it might hinder my life. I, I like my life the way that it is. I, uh, from time to time, hear of uh, folks that have heart disease. In fact, a very dear friend of mine when I was a teenager uh, had heart disease and had to have an open heart surgery and a transplant. This was back when transplants were not a real high success rate, and there was a lot of chance of rejection. And I remember as we prayed for this person, for them to get a heart, and they were put on the waiting list. And some of us can relate to this. We've heard the stories of folks with heart disease and a bad heart where if something doesn't take place, they're going to die. And you get put on that waiting list, and you look optimistically forward to the time where the doctor will call you and say, we've got a donor that matches all of the requirements that are needed for that heart to fit into your body and not have rejection have been met. You look forward for the day that that phone would ring. Could you imagine being a heart patient this morning and your heart uh, only giving you a short period of time to live and you're on that heart transplant list? And all of a sudden you go home this afternoon and the phone rings and the doctor says, we've just had a heart donated uh, through a young man or a young woman who was in a tragic car accident. They died, and they were an organ donor, and their heart has been made available to us. We've checked all the parameters, and the heart meets every qualification that it needs to for you to be a match. We need you to come in right now. Time is sensitive. If we don't get it soon, then the opportunity is going to pass. And we need you to be at the hospital today at a certain time to get this heart transplant. Could you imagine having been in that situation to tell the doctor, uh, well, you know, I, I've been thinking about this, and I'm afraid if I get a new heart that I'm going to have to change the way I live. I'm not going to be able to eat the things I want to eat, and I'm not going to be able to, to, to do the things physically that I want to do. So you know what? I, I appreciate the offer, but I, I think I'll just, I think I'll just not, not do it. Why in the world would somebody do that? You know as well as I do that we would jump at the chance. We would do whatever it took to get to that place, to, to take that heart that was given to us, that would, that would give life instead of, taking our, uh, instead of us being headed towards death. And then when the, when the heart was, was transplanted, and the, we come through the recovery, and the doctor comes in to visit with us, and he says, now you're going to have to be careful of some things. Oh, yes, sir, doctor, we'll be glad to do those things. Why? Because it gave you life. And then the dad of the child whose life was lost comes in to see you. Tears of gratitude streaming down your face knowing that it was His grief that bought your life. It was His sacrifice that gave you life. That man comes in and he asks a simple request of you. I want to be able to call you every day and talk with you. Would we say, oh, I just don't have time for that. I'm busy working. No, no. We'd say, boy, I'd, I'd love the privilege. 
because of all that you have been to me to give me life. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to give you all of these things. It's interesting to me that that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. God looked down and He saw someone who was on a sin transplant list, if you will, a heart transplant list. We needed a new heart. Ours was stained with sin. It was going to take us to a place of condemnation. He says, I want to save their life. And he looked down and he saw us and he loved us. And he says, I'm going to give my son. I'm going to give him so that they can have life. And so he sends his son to die on the cross for our sin. And then he tells us in his book, it met all of the requirements. All you got to do is trust it. Could you imagine telling that doctor this afternoon, well, you know, you say that, you say this heart meets all the requirements, but I don't know, I just don't know if I can, I don't know if I can really believe all that. No, no. You would do it in a heartbeat. You know how I many people say, well, I just don't know if I can trust Him. I don't know if I can believe what He says in Scripture. It's amazing to me how many people will say, I just, I just don't know if I want to do that or not. It's because they don't realize that the soul is vastly more important than this life. Where I spend eternity is vastly more important than what I do with my life in this life. Why would we spend all of this time saying, I don't have time for God, only to get to the edge of eternity and realize, I sure wish I had. I sure wish I had. God made a way. He sent His Son to die on the cross. He paid the price. He bore the grief. Unbelievable sorrow. The sorrow I believe that God has in this day and hour is that He has willingly given His Son. And then to see how many rejected. No, I don't, want, I don't want a new heart. I don't want a new life. I don't want redemption from my sin. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I mean, if I do this, I might have to change. If I do this, it may cause me to, to not be able to do all the things I used to do. If God comes in me, if, God, if Christ comes in me and saves my soul, I may have to I may have to change the way I behave. I may have to change my actions. What? You mean, you mean God would want me to, to spend time with Him daily? I don't know if I'm willing to do that. It doesn't make sense, does it? How many times has the Holy Spirit pricked your heart Cause you to realize I need to be saved. I need to trust Christ as my Savior. And you've rejected. I, I just don't, Pastor. I just I'm happy the way I'm I'm living. I don't want to change. I tell you this: all you've got to do is put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All you got to do is trust that that 
blood that was shed on Calvary over 2,000 years ago is sufficient to pay for your sin. That the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, His burial for three days and the resurrection from the grave is enough to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And that if you will simply put your trust and your faith in what He's done for you on Calvary, that He will forgive you of your sin and He will give you life. And the Bible says He'll give it to you more abundantly. You know, you know what I think is sad? People that, that pray a prayer and say, I've gotten saved, and then they live a life that is miserable. Can I tell you, there's no greater life than the life of a Christian. There's no greater joy than to know that you're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. No greater joy. I've seen so many times people, people go to church and they get up and they sing and they look like they just went to a funeral. I, 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 we sing, He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. And we look like we've got the, the biggest frown on our face. I'll tell you this, I'm thankful that the Lord lives today. If He had not raised from the dead, He would not have been who He said He was. And I would be lost. Because He's all I'm trusting to get me to heaven. I want us to see a couple other things. Look in your Bible to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter number 3. In Titus chapter number 3, just before the the book of Hebrews, Titus chapter 3 and verse number uh, 5, Paul writes to Titus, "...not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost." It is not an issue of, am I doing better than than not? I I ask a lot of people, well, how how would you tell me how you go to heaven? You know the answer I get more than anything? Well, you've got to live a good life. (laughs) And I tell you, that is not how you go to heaven. Well, i got to, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to go to church. And, you know, if you get baptized, that really makes you, no, no. The Bible says that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to His what? His mercy. He saved us. You know what mercy is? Not getting what you deserve. My dad years ago was doing a funeral and he said uh, he had heard somebody mention uh, about the person in the casket. They'd come up to see him and they said, well, he's, he's gone to his just reward. And my dad said, no, he didn't. He didn't go to his just reward. This man was saved. If he had gone to his just reward, he would have ended up in hell. But God gave mercy to this man the day that he trusted him and said, you know what, you've offered this to me. You're the heart transplant that I need. You're going to make the difference inside of me. So, yeah, what do you want me to do? Just trust me. Just trust me. That's what he said. Put your faith in it. If you'll do that, I'll give you the brand new heart. I'll make a difference in your life. I'll give a transforming thing in your life. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. You know, the Bible tells us that our righteousnesses, the things that we do good, they're filthy rags. In the eyes of God, they're filthy rags. That's how holy God is. Why would I come to God with a load of filthy rags and say, this is why you ought to let me into heaven? I was cleaning 
cleaning some place out the other uh, a few months ago. I can't remember where it was at, but I remember Jonathan was there. And there's a, a pile of old greasy, nasty rags that had gotten wet and soured. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've been there before. And we were cleaning them things up. And I'm going to tell you what, you almost needed a fumigator to get close to them. I mean, you just, it was one of those things you picked up and you're like, oh, and then throw it in the trash can. I thought, you know, the best that I can do with my life, every good deed that I've ever done, that's the way they look to God. Why would I come to Him with an armful of those things and say, God, I deserve to go to heaven because of this. Look at this. Oh, isn't this wonderful? He looks at it and says, no, it's not. He doesn't ask us to work for our salvation. He says, I want to give it to you freely. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. Let's read a few verses here, beginning in verse number 1. And you have He quickened. Now, He's speaking here to Christians. He's speaking here to people who have trusted Christ as their Savior. But notice what He says about them. And you have He quickened. Now, the word quickened here is an old English word. It means to be made alive. That which was dead, to be made alive, to be raised up, all right, from the dead. It says, And you have He quickened who were dead. Wait a minute, was I dead? Well, maybe not physically, but I was dead. And notice the Bible says here, in trespasses and sins. The spirit inside of me was dead. And you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Disobedient how? Well, we're told to trust Christ with, uh, for our salvation, and we've not chosen to do that. So we've disobeyed in that regard. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. That's what we used to be. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. You know what grace is? Getting what we don't deserve. So mercy is not getting what we deserve, which is death and hell. And grace is getting that which we didn't deserve. That's God's mercy. We don't deserve His mercy. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Do you see that? Let me read that again. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Let me read that one more time. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you say, Pastor, I'm trying to do the best I can, and God will take that into consideration. No, no. It's not going to happen. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the door. He's the way that we get in. Not by our good works. Our good works is not the door. Our church membership is not the door. You say, well, I'll join Keith the Heights Baptist Church. You'll join Lost unless you've trusted Christ as your Savior. 
Well, Pastor, if you'll baptize me, won't that get me to heaven? No. You'll be wet, but you'll be lost. Why? Because it's only by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. If that doctor were to call you, say we've got a heart that meets all of the qualifications to save your life. The moment you move to go to the hospital, you're trusting it. The moment you say, Doctor, I'll be there, and you hang up the phone, you're trusting it. You're putting your life in the hands of that donor heart. Can I tell you this? The moment you get to a place in your life where you realize, I'm lost and will perish in my sin unless something happens. And God gives us, if you will, a call. He does that by telling us through His Word. He says, you've been dead. I've got a way to make you alive and give you life everlasting. The moment you say, okay, Lord, that's what I want. I want to put my faith and my trust in that. He comes inside of us. He gives us a new heart. Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 2, he quickens us. He makes us alive. You have to be quickened who are dead in trespasses and sin. That's where we are if we've never trusted Christ as our Savior. I, uh, I guess I'll try to illustrate it maybe this way, and I've used this before. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty big fella. Would you agree with that? I enjoy eating. I ordered some stuff to help me get a handle on that this week, and Lord willing, I won't weigh as much next Easter when I get here. But I, I weigh a lot. I, I do. I really do. I was at a friend's house. In fact, I was, I was sharing this illustration a few months ago, and my friend that whose house I was at was listening online, and he called me up after the service. He says, "I remember that. I remember that." I was over at his house, and we were having a, a cookout. And uh, we went out to the backyard, and whoever invented these plastic lawn chairs, I mean, they ought to be put in prison. They really ought. They are not made for people like me. But that's what he had back there. And I sat down in that chair, and we're talking for a minute or two, and all of a sudden I hear a crack. And that chair goes down, and I mean, I just, there I am on the ground, got dirt and mud on me and grass and He's laughing and his kids are laughing. And I'm embarrassed, you know. So when I come into a place, I look and I want to make sure that the chairs in that place are going to hold me. Jonathan and I, my son, went, we went to um, a restaurant here uh, up in the uh, Peevely area uh, a few months ago. And they wanted to sit us out on the porch. It was a nice day. And I thought, well, that'll be nice. We'll get some out air, fresh air and sunshine. We went out there, and they went to seat us, and they had those plastic chairs at the table. I said, no, no. I said, ma'am, can you go in and get a chair, a real chair, and bring it out to the table? I wasn't taking that chance again. You know why? Because I didn't trust it. Didn't trust it. I don't know that that chair would hold me. But I look at the chairs that we have here in Keith Ice Baptist Church, and I've, I've proven these over and over again, but I look at these, and, and they're made out of steel. They're welded. They have 
heavy wooden seats with padding on top of them. And I, I've looked at these oftentimes, and I thought, you know, I, I believe that chair will hold me. It's heavy. It's like I am, you know, it's heavy. I can, I can stand here all day and say, you know what, I know that chair. <laughs> I've studied it. I've looked at it. I've seen all the benefits of that chair. And I believe that chair can hold me. You know, there's a lot of people who look at the Lord Jesus Christ. They learn all about Him. Oh, boy, I see the benefits. Yes, Pastor, I do. I see the benefits. And, boy, I believe He could save me. But they haven't trusted Him. There's going to be a lot of religious people that one day will die and stand before God, and God's going to say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Because they never trusted Him for their salvation. Oh, they knew a lot about Him. They were convinced that He was able. But they never said, Lord, I'm taking my hands off. I can't do it. I cannot save myself. I'm going to trust you to do it. So I can stand here all day long and tell you I believe that you're hold me. But the truth is I haven't trusted it yet, have I? In fact, I can get really close to it. I can even touch it. I, 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 can, I can attend the places where this chair is present and talk of its, its benefits and talk about how beautiful it is and how wonderful this chair is. I can even hold a book in my hands that, that tells me it's a manual on the chair. It tells me all about this chair. I can even go to classes and learn more about the chair. I can even go to these seminars where a, a man will get up and preaches the virtues of this chair. I could even go through becoming a member of that group and say, I'm a member of the steel chair group. Because of that, I'm going to dress real nice. I'm going to carry my manual to the meetings every week. But I haven't trusted it yet, have I? There comes a point, and we all know where it is, where we get to a place in sitting that we cannot recover our own balance. For those of us that are <clears throat> uh, pleasantly plump, it's more sensitive than others, perhaps. But the truth is, I can stand here in front of this chair. I can even bend my knees. I can get very, very close. But I'm quiet. I'm still trusting my strength. I'm trusting those feet. And I'm trusting these muscles. And I'm trusting the, the, the balance that I have to keep me from falling to the floor. But there does come a point. There comes a point where I literally abandon all hope that I'm going to stay up off of this floor with my power. And at that point, right there, I'm trusting that chair because if that chair fails, guess where I'm going? I'm going to the floor. I am no longer trusting my strength or my balance or my good deeds. It would be ridiculous for me to stand up here and say, well, if you dip me in a pool of water, then that shows that I trust the chair. No, no. Well, if I join the, the metal chair group and become a member there and I attend the weekly meetings, that will show that I trust the chair. No, no. Well, if I carry the manual with me, if I read that manual every day, it'll show that I trust that chair. 
No, it won't. Not until you jump on there. And get to the place where you have lost your balance and you're trusting that chair. I was told a story years ago of a tightrope walker. Stretched a line between a very large set of skyscrapers in a downtown area for weeks and months. I think it was, actually, I'm sorry, it was over Niagara Falls, I think it was. For weeks and for months, they uh, promoted this thing that he was going to walk across this tightrope of Niagara Falls. The day came, and the fellow with great skill and great dexterity jumped up there on the wire, and he walks across. The crowds went crazy. And then the the announcer came on and said, how many of you think he could walk across it with a wheelbarrow? The crowd said, oh, yeah, we want to see that. And the man took the wheelbarrow, and he walked across that line. And a few times, he lost his balance a little bit, but came across safe and secure on the other side. The announcer came on one more time and said, Who wants to volunteer to ride in the wheelbarrow? We chuckle at that illustration, but there are a lot of people who get excited about religion. They join a church. They hold a Bible in their hands. They try to dress nice. They try to act right at least on Sundays. But the truth is they're not trusting Lord Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. Can I tell you this? Only when we get to the place where we realize I can do nothing to save myself. And if I am to be saved, if I am to go to heaven when I die, I can only do it by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done on Calvary. We've read about the resurrection today. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again the third day. You say, Pastor, why did He do that? Because those were the requirements that were needed for you to have a new heart. Those were the things that were necessary for you to have life. And then he says, I want to give it to you. I want to give it to you freely. No charge. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. My question today is, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Has there been a moment in your life where you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us very clearly. It's not even something that's confusing. It's not even something that's a gray area. And I'm not telling you what my opinion is on it. I'm just simply telling you what the Bible says. Because if it was my opinion, then there'd be no, no authority to that. Everybody could have their own opinion. Well, my opinion is you've got to drive a red convertible to go to heaven. Your opinion, your opinion may be, well, you've got to have a blue Hummer to go to heaven. It's not an opinion. It's something that is the truth of God's Word. That's where we get it from. What does it take to get to heaven? Trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Putting your faith in Him. Well, I don't know if I want to do that, Pastor. I, I, I mean, when I get to be a Christian, doesn't God work on my heart? Doesn't He cause me to, to want to live a different way? Yeah, He will. He will. Well, what if I don't want to give that up? 
What's more important to us? This life or our soul? I'll tell you this. We look at it on the side of salvation before we're saved. We look to it and we say, well, Christians, they clean their life up. They live a certain way. And I'm kind of having fun living my life the way I am. And there's some enjoyment to it. Can I tell you this? When you get on the other side of salvation, those things that God puts in our hearts to clean up, those are just as enjoyable to us on this side of salvation as the sin ever was on the other side of salvation. In fact, far more. So much so that the Apostle Paul spoke of the things that he had in his life before he got saved. And he said, when I, count, he said, when I look at what I've gained in Christ, he said, I count them but dung. He said, I don't even know why those things are even worth mentioning. I have had so much joy, so much wonderment in being saved that there is no comparison. No comparison from the sinful life that I used to be in and the Christian life that I get to live now. Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you willing to take that step today? Life is a vapor. We don't know when it's going to end. We all got up this morning, got dressed. Some of us have new outfits for Easter. You know, really, I would doubt... There might have been one in this room, but I doubt anybody in this room woke up this morning and thought, today may be my last day on this earth. Could be. I could be in a car accident on the way to church. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm just trying to help us understand this. Nobody expects to die on the day they die. They always thought they would have more time. Even if it's a prolonged illness, they still look back and say, I just thought I would have had more time. Nobody expects to die. And some people say, well, I'll deal with those things of the Lord when I get older, when I've lived this life. Today may be all the life you have to live. Say, are you trying to scare me to get saved? No, I'm trying to express to you the urgency of making sure before it's too late. We had a, a gentleman in our church down in Florida in our Haitian ministry, loved the Lord, was a saved man, Christian fellow. He lived, uh, if you go down Frontier Road, about from here to the end of Frontier Road, this direction, he lived about that far away from our church on a little side street. And rather than drive to church one day, he decided to walk. It was a nice weather day, and he came to church. And they had services that morning. It was a wonderful service, and they left, and uh, everybody was going home. In fact, I remember passing him. Uh, on the way to lunch that day as we drove by him and he was walking down the road. About a half hour later, 45 minutes after that, I got a phone call that a car had come along and didn't see him and hit him and it killed him instantly. He didn't wake up that morning thinking, I'm going to go to church today and uh, then I'm going to probably die. In fact, he sat there at church and he, he listened to the message and he probably made some kind of decision or at least was encouraged in his heart in some way. He left that place thinking, I've got all of my life in front of me, not realizing that the end of his life was that day. Can I tell you this? Life is a vapor. It's a vapor. 
appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't say, I'll put it off till later. Now is the time. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? I gave an illustration of a heart patient. We look at that and we say, somebody would be so foolish to act the way you described. And yet when we reject the Lord Jesus Christ, we have acted far, far more foolishly. Let's be wise today. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, today would be the day. No greater day. There's no greater life than the life of a Christian. To know that you're saved and on your way to heaven. I want to encourage you in that. Don't wait. Don't wait. Let's stand together, if you would, with uh, heads bowed. I'm going to ask if you would to keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't, I don't want to embarrass anybody. That's not my intent. And I promise you this, I will not. I will not point you out or call you out. I will not do anything in this service to embarrass you. I promise you. I wonder, <clears throat> with heads bowed and eyes closed and privately, 